morning, everyone. Welcome to everybody that's online as well. Thanks for tuning in and being part of us here at Grace Community Church at our Goshen campus. Um, it was neat to be able to celebrate yesterday um, with Jim and Ann, our lead pastor, their son, Josh, got married and we were down there last evening, excited for Josh and his uh, wife, Jess, she's just a fantastic person and so glad they got to be together. It's been fun for Tara and I um, to watch Jim and Ann's kids grow up um, here in our church um, when Isaiah, their youngest, uh, when I came here on staff, Isaiah wasn't even in school yet. He was just a little guy. And so it's been really rewarding and been helpful to watch and learn from them as they've kind of gone just a little bit of steps before us. You know, one thing about kids when they're little is they ask a lot of questions. I have a daughter right now who's just in that stage, one of those stages where she's just asking me questions all the time. Why did God do this? Why does God do, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that there's an answer for all the questions that she asks. And maybe you work with kids and you get those questions or, or maybe you're in a season of life where you have nieces or nephews around or, or kid, your own children or grandchildren around, they're asking you questions. But kids ask questions all the time. They ask pastors questions too. And, uh, and, and so I, I found some questions. These are actual letters that kids have sent to their pastors that I thought would be interesting to share with you guys today. Um, here, here's one. It says, dear pastor, does God really like everybody? If so, he's never met my sister. <laughs> that, that's Jace, age nine. That was a nine-year-old that uh, said that. Dear pastor, I'm sorry I can't leave more money in the offering plate but my dad doesn't give me a raise in my allowance. Um, could you maybe have a sermon about a raise in my allowance? That's uh, Kaylin, she's 10. That was, that's a good idea. Dear pastor, uh, could you say a prayer for our little league team? We need God's help. Or maybe we need a new pitcher. That's, that's Alexander, age 10, I love his honesty. <laughs> Every team, Alexander, could use a better pitcher, uh, most teams. Uh, dear, dear pastor, do I really have to learn the Ten Commandments? I don't think I want to because we already have so many rules at my house. <laughs> That's Jose, I was, he's 10. And then this is my favorite as, as a pastor. Uh, dear pastor, do people say how much they like your sermons? I really liked your message on Sunday, especially when it was over. <laughs> I thought, Wow, that's Amber, she's 11, I appreciate that. You need some honest people in your life to help you and uh, Amber was that person for her pastor. The reality is that not only do little kids ask a lot of questions, but sometimes big kids have questions about life too. We have questions about why things are going the way they're going and, and we turn to friends, we turn to, to, to people that we can trust, we turn to pastors and we ask questions about the things that are happening in our lives and over the years that, that, that I've been a pastor, I, I, I've kind of begun to see that a lot of the questions that I get when I talk and sit down and talk to people about things that are serious that are happening in their lives, a lot of those things, a lot of those questions have a same, a similar root. And that root is often fear. You know, we don't necessarily like to admit that we're afraid and we try not to act like we're afraid, but the reality is that there's a lot of things that worry us and keep us anxious about things. Whether it's the fear of um, our relationship that we're in going, going bad, whether it's the fear of what might happen to our children in the future, whether it's the fear of, uh, of what's gonna happen with our jobs in the future, or whether it's the fear of whether or not things are going to you know, get better in the world or worse in the world as we know it. Um, 
We worry about failing. We worry about doctor's diagnosis, uh, diagnoses. We, we worry about our parents as, as they get older and what's going to happen. Maybe you're at a phase in life where you're considering retirement and you're concerned about what that's going to look like for you and if you're going to have enough and, and, and what are you going to do and are you going to be okay during that period of your life. The reality is that whatever flavor it takes on, we have all felt fear's grip. We've all done it. Can you relate to those feelings of anxiousness and fear? Have you ever felt that way? Are you living up to all of your redemptive potential or does fear sometimes hold you back and keep you down? I think we could all sort of nod our heads and say, yeah, I think those, I, I can relate to that, John. I think about those things. And yeah, I think sometimes I do let myself live below my redemptive potential, what God wants to do in my life. And, and I can be sometimes held back by fear. Well, thankfully, fear didn't just start with us. Thankfully, we're not the first ones. In fact, the scriptures describe uh, all kinds of help when we are afraid. And the series that we're in right now is in the Psalms. And, and the Psalm that we're gonna look at today, David, the author, had to deal with fear. And David was like a man's man if there ever was one, a mighty warrior king. And in Psalm 27, which is where we're gonna to be today, if you wanna to turn there, Psalm 27, we see that, that David struggled with fear and with anxiousness and concern. Psalm 27 traces his experience and how then we can overcome some of the fear in our lives. And what David finds is that God's presence provides comfort and courage. The Psalms are so helpful to me. I hope they are to you as well, but the Psalms are so helpful because they give us an inside look. They, they, they show us that peop, God's people have always had questions and doubts about faith. Questions and doubts even about their relationships with God and, and if God was really good on his word. I think sometimes you and I as believers feel like we're not allowed to ask questions or we're not allowed to ask God questions or have doubts or fears. And the scriptures say, no, you, you absolutely can. God's people always have. And the Psalms often are trying to answer those questions that you and I face, like why do bad things keep happening? Or God, where is your protection that you promise? And those are the questions that come up in the Psalms. Psalm 27 is, is no different. David is trying to wrestle with honest questions that he had. But why we turn to the scriptures and why we turn to the Psalms when we have those questions is because there's not only reality or authenticity there, but there's also hope. There is hope for those of us who have questions for God. Psalm 27 tries to, David tries to answer those. So we're gonna read together, if you don't mind, something that we'll do here at Grace is we'll actually stand up and read God's word. It just helps us to be on the same page and recognize that it's his authority. So if you wanna read along with me, Psalm 27, we're not gonna read the whole Psalm altogether. We will as I dig into it, but, but Psalm 27, we're gonna read together verses seven to 10. So verses seven to 10 is what we're gonna read right now uh, here out loud in a second. Psalm 27, seven to 10, here we go. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. 
Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Thanks so much. You can have a seat. I think in those verses, we can sort of understand the feelings that David was having where he has honest questions, where he's almost desperately saying, God, don't turn your face from me. God, would you even, would you do that? Please don't do that. But yet he also has hope and he's seeking to trust God as well. And as I've read Psalm 27 again and again and again this week, I, I come to the conclusion that I think the, answer, the question that David is trying to ask, and the answer is one that all of us have asked at different times in our lives, and this is it. What do I do when I'm afraid? God, what do I do when I am afraid? When, I, when I'm anxious about something, when I'm fearful, when I'm concerned or nervous or whatever word we want to use, what do I do? David asks that question and, and tries to answer it, I think, as well. I think in, in our honest moments, we admit that we probably worry a lot. You know, worry comes out in a lot of different ways. It doesn't always look like the person who, who is sort of just paralyzed and gripped by fear and, and can't leave, you know, their, their house or their room or is kind of sitting in the corner by themselves. No, fear can look like a lot of other things. Fear can look a lot like anger. When you have uncontrollable anger and fits of rage, a lot of times it's because you're feeling this stress, this fear. Fear manifests itself in a lot of different ways. And, and the world tries to offer hope, uh, but the solutions that the, that the outside world offers have, has no real hope or value. They're, they're counterfeit solutions, but, but there's ones that we're familiar with. We've heard them. We've probably tried them ourselves. One of the solutions that the world offers, counterfeit solutions, is to simply just stuff it down, to not acknowledge it. And man, we know a lot of people, maybe we are too, just are really good at stuffing stuff down stuffing our concerns or not dealing with them, not, not talking about them, not facing them, but just kind of pushing it down and ignoring it. So, hey, everything's fine here, nothing to see, keep going, all right? Another solution that the world sometimes offers or other people we might see try to do this is to simply just act powerful and obnoxious. If you, if you just act powerful, like you have no problems, like you're on top of the world, like everything's great with you, it, you know, you'll be fine. Just, just act that way. Fake it till you, till you make it. And, and maybe you know someone like that who, who, who seems to always be up and never has any problems. And if you ask them, oh, no, they're great. And they don't, they don't ever deal with fears. No, they're, they're, even Christians can be that way. I'm, I'm never afraid of nothing. I know God's always with me. Really? I mean, you're right. He's always with you, but you're never afraid. When I meet somebody who sort of is that kind of obnoxious, over the top, has no problems, I, also, I almost always feel the most empathy for them because I know inside they're probably really dying. So maybe that's been sort of your solution. Another solution that the a counterfeit solution the world offers is simply cover it up. Cover it up here, try this, try these drugs, try this drink, try this distraction, try this addiction. Just cover it up, mask it. Be numb to it. Don't worry about it. Just cover it up. I lived in a, in a, in a part of the country. I grew up over in the East Coast where I think in the, the part of the state of Pennsylvania that I grew up in, I felt like that was kind of who we were. We just masked everything. We never talked about it. We were all very polite, by the way, and very nice to each other, but we were never deep, just very surfacy. 
And maybe, maybe, maybe that's where you are. You're just not going to go there. You're not going to go there. You're going to just get, just numb yourself to something else. You're going to fill your life with activities and busyness or, or other distractions, or, you know, a video game that just kind of runs your life or another addiction that just kind of, you know, sucks you in. When, when you're struggling, you're feeling stressed, you just turn right to that. The problem with all of those counterfeit solutions that the world offers us is that none of them take away fear. And none of them really help us to, to know how to overcome or work through that fear or live a life that's healthy. And we know that. Even though we, we turn to those things, we, we know it's not, we know they're not gonna really help us when we, when we put our heads down on the pillow at night and we're really honest. We know it. The world doesn't offer us any real hope. And, and I think if we were able to peel back the masks of our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our family and even ourselves here in our church, and if we were to peel back our masks, we would see a lot of hopelessness. We're just stuck. We don't know what to do. And we've tried all these other solutions that we've kind of heard about or seen others try or, or just have been our go-to methods of coping for our whole life. And we're looking for something else. See, as we get older, we understand that nothing really ever turns out the way we hoped it did or would. No relationship, no matter how good it is, is immune from dysfunction or hurt. No body, no, how strong, no matter how strong it is, is immune completely from, from decay and disease and even death. No organization is completely immune from corruption or problems in the future. Fear is real. Fear is something that we'll all deal with in our lives. And the authors of scripture describe a life that is not free from worry and fear. In fact, it was Jesus himself who said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's pretty definitive. And so for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we can't act as if we don't have any trouble. Fear alone is not sin. I want you guys to know that. Fear alone is not sin. In fact, what scripture does tell us is to have courage. And you know that if you're gonna have courage, you have to be at least a little afraid. Because courage isn't not being afraid. No, courage is the strength to do what is right and necessary even when you are afraid. That's what courage is. So fear alone is not wrong, but when we are afraid, we can make wrong choices. It's whether or not we turn to those counterfeit solutions that the, the world offers us or whether we turn to the one who did say in this world you will have trouble, but he also said right behind it, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, God's presence provides comfort and courage. I think David, through his life and as he comes to this psalm, he learned that you can't just stuff fear down. You can't just mask it forever with an addiction. You can't just fake power and pretend it's not there. You just can't keep putting your head down and going and going and going and going. Eventually, when you do any of those things, your life will fall apart. But I also think that David had seen the power of God in his life and, and knew that there was real hope for him and for others. He, he had come to, to trust in God's goodness. 
And so here's the conclusion I think he comes to from this Psalm 27. If I were to summarize it with a sentence, it's this right here. In times of fear, God's presence provides comfort and courage. And so David doesn't act as if there won't be times of fear, there will be. But when there are times of fear, we run and we seek God's presence. And it is his presence that will give us comfort. And it is his presence that will give us courage to do what is right and do what is necessary. It's his presence that gives us that. In times of fear, God's presence provides comfort and courage. See, the right person's presence makes all the difference in my situation. Sometimes my situation isn't any different, but being around a certain person provides comfort and protection. When Tara and I lived in Philadelphia before we moved here to Indiana, we were planning a church in an inner city neighborhood. And uh, it was a neighborhood that was, had a lot of struggles economically. Uh, one of, I mean, probably the major economy was, was drugs running through our community. And the corner where our church building was that we were running was, was uh, you know, had people from other states, from New Jersey coming in, from other suburbs of Philadelphia coming in. It, it was a busy place. And we got to know the guys that hung out in the corner and, and, and tried to befriend them. And over a long period of time, a year or so, just really tried to gain their trust and let them know that we were there for them and for the community. And we loved them and, and there was hope and there was a different way of going. And, and over that time though, the church was starting and ministries were happening, programs were going on. And, and so after a while we said, listen, we, we, we love you guys, but you, you, can't, you can't stay here anymore. We have hundreds of kids coming here to our church every, every week. We have hundreds of teenagers coming to church. You, you, you can't be here. We need them to know that there's a different way of, of living, that God has a, a, another plan for them. And the relationship became pretty contentious be, between us and this group of, this group of men. And, and so over time, it, it grew more and more contentious. And, and, and one morning, uh, this, this is what happens sometimes. If you've ever lived in the city or the urban, in an urban center, you know this happens. Your windows are smashed once in a while. This sort of happens. You usually go down the street and smash several of them. You know, somebody's upset or, or you, know, uh, you know, impaired or something like that. And those sort of things happen. Tara and I actually had a budget line item in our family budget for that kind of stuff. That's normal. But, but, it, but it happened one morning to, to my car. And then the next morning it happened to another staff person's car. It wasn't down the whole street. It was just one, just me. And it was just him. And it was just me the next day. And then it was him the next day. And for 14 days straight, one of us was tired. One of our cars was targeted. Just one, n- not all of us, just one window, just letting us know that we were not appreciated. We got to know the guys at the glass dealership really well. Finally, after literally about two weeks, 14 days, this uh, man in the community, his name was Harvey, and I had gotten to know Harvey and built a friendship with him. And, and, um, and, and he was like, uh, oh, just so well-respected. He had lived there forever, an older guy, bigger guy, tall. Um, and uh, Harvey came up to me and says, John, I want you to know that I've noticed kind of what's been going on in the last few weeks. I said, you have? He said, yeah, and, and, and it's gonna stop. And I said, Harvey, what do, what do you mean? Like, what are you gonna do? And he said, John, you're a religious person, right? And I said, well, you know that I am. He said, I can't tell you what I'm gonna do. <laughs> he said, but you're not gonna have a problem anymore. And you know, we never had a problem after that. <laughs> Next morning we went, we came out and our cars were fine. And so we went to the glass dealership just to celebrate. We took them Dunkin' Donuts. And we said, hey, we, we have no cars to give you today, but we have a donut for you. 
You know, whenever Harvey was around, I always felt safe. It wasn't that my situation was any different, but because he was there and I was in his presence, my perspective was totally changed. And when we're in times of fear or hardship or trouble in our lives, it's not that our situations always absolutely change, but when we're in God's presence, our perspective does. When we are in the presence of, of God and we are close to him and we realize who he is and who we are to him as his son or his daughter, it changes everything. The way that we can handle life and whatever comes at us. I wanna tease out five simple actions from Psalm 27 that you and I can take when we are afraid. Listen, don't turn to the world's lies. You can have real hope. And so let me give you five actions today from David, from, from, from God, from Psalm 27. Five action steps to take when I'm afraid. Here's the first one. Number one, when you are afraid, speak truth to yourself. Don't listen to yourself, but speak truth to yourself. Look at verse one, Psalm 27. We'll read the first three verses here. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. David listens to himself. He feels afraid. And then he says to himself, wait, wait a second, what am I doing? Why am I afraid? I have God on my side. God is the most powerful one that there is. He's in control of everything that happens to my life and everything that happens on earth. He reminds himself, why am I afraid? And he begins to speak truth to himself. He says, who is greater than God? And he's on my side. He's above every power at work in this evil world. He calls God the stronghold. He is a stronghold. That's a place where you can run for defense. He runs to God for safety and protection. He says, he is my light. He is my salvation, my salvation. David reminds himself that even if the world does fall apart, I still have salvation. I have heaven to look forward to someday. And if it happens to be sooner than later, is that really a bad thing? He probably tells himself. See, remind yourself that in times of fear, God's presence provides comfort and safety. Speak truth to yourself. Number two, when you are afraid, praise the Lord, even in fearful moments. Praise the Lord, even in fearful moments. Look what David does in verse four. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. What is that one thing, David? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. In times when I'm afraid, David says, I will run to the presence of the Lord. I will be at his sacred tent. I will hide, he will hide me and keep me safe in his shelter and I will praise the Lord. David acknowledges the most important place to be of all places in the world is to be in the presence of God, to be in his house. 
In the Old Testament, when David lived, God's presence was in the tabernacle, was in the sacred tent where the Israelites would come to, to meet and to worship God. This was such a safe place for David. When David talks about shelter, he knows what he's talking about. David lived in a desert, in, in an arid, hot, arid conditions. Shelter, uh, shade was a big deal to him. And I can appreciate that. With, with the wonderful complexion that I have been blessed with, I can appreciate shelter and shade. I have two colors, right? Pasty white or beet red. That's it. There's no like middle for me. And so I love shade. David would have loved to have a permacloud over him, maybe not for the whole winter, but he would have loved it for at least for a few weeks so he could find some shade. But the place where David went to, where he went to to find that shade, that shelter was God's presence. And I love the picture that David gives. He says that, he will, that God will hide him. Here is the king, the mighty warrior, hiding having God hide him in his presence. It's a picture of a little child when you go to a new place that the, 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 the parent is taking their child maybe to, to a new friend's house or to a nursery or somewhere or to some place and trying to drop them off or preschool or whatever it is. What does the, new, what does the young child do? They, they hide behind their parent's leg, right? They want to be close to their parent because they know that their parent is safe because they know that as long as their parents is there and protecting them from the scary thing in front of them, the scary place in front of them, that there's safety for them. You and I are that little child and we find safety in the presence of our great God. And when David was at that shelter, in verse six says that he sacrificed with shouts of joy, that he sang and make music to the Lord. He is praising the Lord, even in his fearful moments. There is comfort in reminding ourselves of God's greatness. There is real comfort in fearful moments in simply telling ourselves the truth about the great God that we serve. It does push back darkness. It does sometimes push back our fears. When you are afraid, you start praising the Lord for all of his goodness. And don't miss that the sacred tent, the tabernacle where David went to was not just his personal place of worship, it was also a public place of worship. And I think when we are in times of fearfulness or times of anxiety or times of, of, of being, being uh, scared or whatever we wanna call it, we often want to retreat by ourselves. But the best thing that we can do is to put ourselves around God's people, to praise the Lord together with the body of Christ because perhaps others can praise God when we feel like the words aren't there for us to give. And it's good to push back that fear and that darkness. So praise the Lord even in fearful moments. Number one was speak truth to yourself. Here's number three, seek the Lord. When you are afraid, seek the Lord. Don't give up looking for God. Those verses that we read earlier say, hear my voice, verse seven, when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. So your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me. Verse 10 says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. David says, I need to seek God. You can hear the anxiousness in David's voice as he's asking God to not turn his back on him. And he is choosing when he doesn't feel like it to seek the Lord. But, but he feels all alone. 
which is how we often feel when we're overwhelmed by life. We feel alone. Nobody is carrying this with me. Nobody can understand what's going on. And we often feel isolated, even from those who are closest to us. We feel there is no one to turn to to help us carry our burden. Perhaps David felt like God wasn't moving fast enough for him. God wasn't coming to his aid quick enough and solving this problem that he was facing in this particular psalm, whatever was happening in his life that day. But David acknowledges that God will always receive him. He says, even if his mother and father do not, God will. And here's what he meant by that. Even if those closest to me aren't able to help me carry this weight, God is. God is the only one we can truly live without. God's the only one. There might be times where you do feel like you're standing alone or even those who are closest to you aren't able to help you carry the weight that you are carrying or the burden that you are carrying. But I want to tell you that God will receive you. That's what David says in verse 10. God will receive you. God is the only one that you truly can't live without. He's the only one that we truly need. Even if everyone else leaves us, God will never leave us. He is always there. So seek him when you are afraid. Seek him when you need comfort, when you need courage. He wants to receive you. He wants to be with you. Seek him. That was seek the Lord, number three. Number four, this is so critical. David writes this here. Live, here's number four, live righteously. When you are afraid, live righteously. Do the right things that you know to do. Look at verse 11. David says, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do you know what a lot of us want to do when we're tired? What a lot of us want to do when we're weary? What a lot of us want to do when we are hurting, especially if that hurt has come from another person, we want to make a lot of bad choices. And you know what happens? We often make our bad situations much worse. When you are hurting, live righteously. Do the right things that you know to do. Don't make your situation worse than it is by lashing out in anger or by making other poor choices that will make things worse and compound the problems that you have. That's so practical because, man, I've done that in my life and I bet you have too, where, where someone has wronged you and, and you're gonna get even with them. You're, well, if they did that, then I'm gonna do this. If they can do that, then it's right for me to do this. And I'm telling you, David says, live righteously. Don't compound your problems. You continue to seek the Lord and do the right things and do what you know is right to do. Continue to do what you know God wants you to do. Don't add to your pain. David uh, tells us to live righteously. Don't add to our trouble. What a mistake that is. Let's learn from it and let's not do it. Number five, David says to confidently wait for the Lord. Confidently wait for the Lord. David, I, I love these verses that he closes with, 13 and 14. He says, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not just in eternity, but in the land of the living. There's goodness in this world. There's good for God to do in your life. There are times of joy. And then he says, wait for the Lord. He talks to himself, be strong, take heart and wait for the Lord. Talking to, to himself, praising the Lord, seeking the Lord and living righteously restores David's confidence so that he can now wait for the Lord. 
And I love his inspired confidence because we will struggle in this world, but we can be confident that we will see joy in God's goodness as well. Waiting is hard though. Waiting is hard for little kids, isn't it? But you know, waiting is hard for big kids too. Waiting is not easy. Patience isn't easy or everyone would have it. But waiting doesn't have to be passive. These five actions that we see David doing in this psalm while he is waiting for the Lord, at the end of this psalm, he hasn't yet overcome this problem in his life. He closes by saying, wait for the Lord. He's continuing to wait, but he has been comforted and he's been given courage. And these five actions that we can take allow waiting to be an active engagement of life's challenges while we hope for deliverance. We don't have to be passive and just kind of sit and wait. No, we do what we can do while we wait for God to do what he can do. We don't meddle into what God can do because there's, there's some things that only God can do. But while we're waiting for him to do what he can do, we do what we can do. And David gives us five actions here that we can do. We don't want to just rush through life. Our loving God knows, sometimes he makes us wait because our loving God knows that waiting is one of his best tools to teach us. Hardship, pain are some of the best tools to soften a hard heart and to, and to cut off some jagged edges of our personality that he's reshaping to come like Christ. So wait on the Lord. Take heart, be strong, and wait on the Lord. In times of fear, God's presence provides comfort and courage. Don't just simply wish to rush through the pain or the fear and miss the goodness of God's presence with you. It is enough. And don't wish to get through it so quick and miss the lesson that God is teaching you and the grace that he wants to show you that you'll only understand at the bottom of the hole. There is grace even there. And you and I will never experience it if we don't go there. So wait on the Lord, brother. Wait on the Lord, sister. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I like the story about the little bird that's supposed to fly south for the winter with all of his little bird friends. And the morning they're all leaving to go south, he wakes up late. He slept through his alarm. And so he quickly rushes and he scurries off and he flaps his wings as fast as he can to try to catch up, to try to catch the rest of his friends who are flying south for the winter. But, but he's, he's too late and, and it's cold and, 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 and he, his wings aren't working as well and he kind of falls to the ground and he's flapping, trying to flap, but his wings now are frozen because he's not where he's supposed to, to be. And he's, he's sitting there on the ground and he's, he's just wishing he would have left on time the way that he was supposed to. And he's wishing that he wasn't all by himself and his friends were still there around him. And he's kind of wondering why this is happening to him. And all of a sudden the cow comes by and the cow drops manure on him. And if you've, if you've been around cows or the farm or the 4-H fair, you, you know that's what they do. And, and, and now the bird is like, why, why, could things get any worse? And now I'm not caught up with my friends. Not, now my wings, I'm frozen. I'm sitting on the ground. And now this cow comes by and drops manure on me. He's just wishing his whole life would have been different. He begins to kind of complain. He's chirping, he's chirping so loud. He's just complaining, complaining, complaining about everything that's going on. And he, but he realizes that the manure is warm. 
And now his wings are starting to move a little bit. And he's been so loud chirping this whole time. He, he, he hears the other steps. It's not a cow. He thinks, he thinks it's maybe a bird had, had seen him separated from the pack and had come back to help him, to encourage him, to nudge him along. And he's chirping so loud. It's finally his wings are free and they work. And he sees out of the corner of his eye, it wasn't another bird, it was a cat. The, the cat had see, heard all of his chirping, all of his complaining, and now was there and pounced on him and killed him. End of story. <laughs> Do you like that story? I don't, I don't know how you thought it was going to end, but <laughs> church, church isn't like Hallmark, okay? It's not always happy. No, here's three things we can learn from this story. Number one, not everyone who drops manure on you is your enemy. Number two, not everyone who comes along to help dig you out is your friend. And number three, when you have manure on you, sometimes it's just best to keep your little chirper shut. <laughs> and simply wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. He sees you. He loves you. He's watching over you. He's not forgotten you. He has a plan for you. But seek him. Seek his presence. That's where you'll find comfort. That's where you'll find courage to do what is right, to live for him. We wanted to leave some time in the service for you to spend time with the Lord. We don't want to just talk about it, but we want to do it. And so if you grab your, your bulletin that you got when you came in today, uh, if you flip it open and you look here, there's a section for you to spend some time right now with God. Jeremy's going to come out and he's going to just play some music in the background for us so that you can reread Psalm 27. The Psalms are meant to really reflect on. The Psalms are meant to meditate on. It's not like we read them quick and then we're done. No, you read and you think and you ponder and you, you say, God, what are you saying to me? And so we gave you some headings here. It says, I'm tempted to worry about. Why don't you write down some of the things you're tempted to worry about? Be honest but I will remember that the Lord, what are the things you need to remember about God that might speak directly to the things that you're worried about? And then number three, the third section there is, I will praise the Lord for, what can you praise the Lord? What has he done in your life in the past that has shown you that he's faithful, that he's gonna come through for you again? And finally, there's a section that says, I will wait for the Lord by don't be tempted to kind of get around God's will or get around the Lord or get ahead of the Lord. But, but so how are you going to wait? How are you going to show that you're waiting on the Lord, that you're going to be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord? So spend this time. This is your time to be with the Lord right now. Go ahead.
What are the things that weigh you down and make you anxious? What are the things that you need to remember about the Lord, about his goodness? What are the things that you need to praise God for? And can you wait for the Lord? In, in our auditoriums uh, in the south and here in the north, uh, Austin in the south and Jeremy here in the north are gonna sing and for us. And, and, and we just want you to sit right where you're at, to not get up and, and join in. But just to listen. Sometimes we just need to listen and think and reflect and spend some quiet moments with the Lord. And I wish we could give you even more time in the service in just a few moments. But let that time continue now as you reflect on God's truth and on his goodness and on his power and on his work in your life as, uh, as we worship him together.